Well, good morning, church. I'd like to specifically thank the missions team for all their work. Um, it's been a great week hearing from our different sent ones, both, both here and by video. And uh, let me tell you, there's a lot of work that, comes behind, that goes behind the scenes here in getting ready to, to connect everybody with different venues. And uh, the, the, the breakfast yesterday, the missions fair last Sunday evening. So join me in thanking the missions team. Megan and, and everybody on the team, we really appreciate your, your leadership in helping us be a good church in uh, a good sending church, right? Um, we really want to hold the ropes well for our sent ones. Um, and I want to make the point, you know, this year we didn't have a whole lot of our missionaries back with us, and actually that's a good thing, because it means they're out there on the field uh, proclaiming the gospel and, and making disciples and planting churches. And, and, you know, last year, there were a lot of them kind of stuck during the COVID pandemic. So we praise God that, that they're back out there, they're back at it. Um, and, and so it has, been a, it has been a really great time to even be able to use technology this last week to, to hear from them. And this year, our missions team selected two verses to be the theme of the conference. And um, I have preached several times on Psalm 96 uh, since I've been pastoring Rocky. This is one of my favorite psalms. Uh, but this morning, we're going to just focus on the two verses that the missions team has selected to be the theme of our conference this year. So let me read them again, uh, verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 96. And then we're going to kind of focus in on, on what, what do these mean? I've got three points, um, sing, tell, and declare. So let's look at these two verses again. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. So let's look at our first point, which is about singing. Really, it's about worship. And that is sing to the Lord. And you can find these points in some of, this, some of the uh, verses that we're going to be um, that, are, that, are, that are supportive of these points in your worship guide inside the bulletin, if, if that helps you. But we're going to talk about singing to the Lord. What does it mean to sing to the Lord and bless His name? Well, actually, I think this means what we've just done together, which has been wonderful, and that is actual singing. You know, we, we sing naturally when we're happy about something. We're excited Unless it's like the blues, all right? That's, I guess, the opposite. But when we come together, the idea is an expression of, of heart joy. So are you singing to the Lord under your breath as you go throughout your day? Psalm 149 has a lot to say about worship. Psalm 149, and feel free to turn there, or we've got these, these verses for you here, I believe. Um, Psalm 149, verses 1 through 6, which says, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, His praise in the assembly of the godly. That's what we did together this morning. Let Israel be glad in His maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. So you see that connection between heart joy and, and singing. Let them praise His name with dancing, making melody to Him with tambourine and lyre. So when you read that, does that make you a little bit nervous? You know, a bunch of Baptists and dancing, you know, no toe-tapping Baptists, right? You know, I always get a little nervous when I see Chris Treadway with his tambourine, 
Uh, and the reason for that is, is not that I'm against the tambourine, because actually the Bible talks about the tambourine right here. Um, once upon a time, for those who've been around a while, he actually called me up and handed me the tambourine. And, uh, and my rhythm is just not great, okay? Um, but, but that's what we read here. You know, I wonder sometimes if kind of the, the, the solemn uh, stayed worship, you know, where, where you, um, you know, you're just kind of, you know, straight as a board, maybe your lips are moving a little bit. I wonder if that is really as, as pleasing to God as what we read right here, because that's not what we read right here. Now, there's a lot that's cultural in worship, right? But the idea here is we're supposed to have heart joy coming out. It talks about dancing and making melody and tambourine and lyre. So I wonder sometimes if we could learn something from our African sisters and brothers and how they worship the Lord. Now realize there's a lot this culture, there's a lot this culture, but I'm not quite sure where the idea that it's more holy to not move anything but maybe your lips when you worship and praise came from. I would suggest probably culture and tradition and maybe apathy. So Let's uh, watch it here, and let me encourage you, there's a, time to, there's a time when we worship the Lord, there's a time to reflect, there's a, there's a time to, to even grieve our sin, but man, there's a time to rejoice, so don't let your, your personality or your culture hold you back, right? And, and, and he says, for the Lord, continue in Psalm 149, verse 5, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people, he adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. So it shouldn't be put on, right? It shouldn't be, well, okay, uh, other people are watching, so now I'm going to, you know, let's get the kind of the holy hand thing going to try to make people think I'm holy. No, it's to be from our heart. But by the way, the Bible also talks about lifting hands to the Lord, so that is a good thing. If, if it's like traveling from your heart through your hands, that's a good thing, okay? Nothing wrong with lifting your hands to the Lord. So let's not let fear of going charismatic or something stop you from doing what the Bible says we should do, right? We ought to worship Him with, with our bodies and our voices, but it's got to come from, from the heart. And, and so we should be singing even in our beds to the Lord. What, what a great thought um, as we end our day or beginning our day, that the worship, the worship of God. Now, maybe, maybe you're one of these tough guys in the room who, who says, I, I don't sing. Okay, well, I want you to look at verse 6, if that's you, if you're a tough guy, all right? Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands. I think that's pretty cool. So warriors should sing. Well, maybe if you're, if you're, if you're there, uh, just look over to the next, uh, the next psalm, Psalm 150. Psalm 150, verse 6, simply ends by saying, this is the last verse in the Psalter, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And, and, and then it repeats itself, praise the Lord. So, so singing to the Lord is an important part of the life of the Christian. And in the New Testament, we read in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 through 20, that singing is actually a fruit of the Holy Spirit's work in our heart. So, so listen, listen to these words carefully. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 through 20. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. 
singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. So we should sing with our mouths, and if we believe the Psalms, which I hope we do, that means it should flow out of uh, our expressions and, and, our, and our, our bodies, and again, a lot of that is expressed in culturally appropriate ways, but we should sing, but it needs to, make, it needs to come from our hearts. Here, we, here we, he talks about making melody of the Lord with your heart. So let's make sure that, that the words that come out and the way it comes out is consistent with what's in our hearts. And if you really have the joy of the Lord in your heart, man, don't keep it bottled up, right? Don't keep it bottled up because it's all about worship. You know, this, and you maybe think, well, I thought this was a missions conference, not like a music conference. But John Piper, in the very beginning of his book, which I think if, if, if there's three books you should read about missions, that's one of them, maybe the first, right? It's a great theological but very practical to read foundation of missions, a book he wrote back in the 90s called Let the Nations Be Glad, okay? And it, and it comes from several psalms, the, the title of his book. And this is how he begins his book on page 11. He writes, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. You might think, well, that's funny. I thought you thought it was, Troy. And, and, and I, I do really believe in missions. But missions isn't the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is the ultimate, or sorry, worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal in missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions we simply aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. Let me just say that, repeat that point again, right? Um, the whole goal of missions and, and the fuel of missions. What, what, how, how do missionaries continue to, to survive and thrive and, 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 and continue to take the gospel in resistant places where people, frankly, maybe are not welcoming them with open arms or, or treating them with suspicion? Like we heard about from our sister Elizabeth in Rhode Island, right? Like, whoa, no, why are you doing here? You know, what's going on here? You're trying to, make, trying to proselytize me? I mean, imagine if you're a Muslim. And, and somebody comes into your place and they start talking about Christ, you're thinking, wait a minute, you want me to betray my family and my culture and, and suffer? Sh sure, it makes a lot of sense to look suspicious on that person. So why, how can a person who goes to reach an Islamic society or a resistant society continue? What fuels them? It's got to be a God-centered view. It's got to be worship in their hearts, right? Singing in their hearts. See, be, being very concerned about God's glory. And you know what, church? We can't give away what we don't have. So let's make sure that we start with worship, because that's the end of it all. That's what we're looking for here. And you know what? God is worthy of our worship, and that of every, every nation and every creature, right? And that's what we, what we read is going to happen in the end. One day, every tribe, tongue, and nation will worship our great God. You know, before I read the, the, the text here from Revelation 7, 9 through 12, um, let me just say this. You, whether you're a Christian or not in this room, you are a worshiper of something, right? That word worship just means to ascribe worth. 
And so all of us are incurable worshipers. We get excited about stuff. We, 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 we choose to honor things as being worthy of our worship. Now, that could be like a little golf ball, right? Or it could be uh, 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 the idea of success. Or, or maybe, maybe our, we're worshiping acceptance. And so we get swept up into, into fashion and all kinds of vanity because we want people to accept us. And that can lead to all kinds of sin, right? Maybe we are worshiping the American dream and the perfect house. You know, the white picket fence, the, the southern home interior. And that's what we worship because that's what we put our time and our thoughts and our, and our money into. You know what? That's all going to burn. So, so worship that which is worthy of your worship, and that is the Lamb. Revelation 7, 9 says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number, from every nation and tribe and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So the Lamb and and His mission are worthy of your worship. The investment of your time and your your talent and your treasure, that's worthy. That will stand for eternity. So sing to the Lord, brothers and sisters. And it's been good to sing with you. And we've got another song coming, I believe, Chris. And and, and I was kind of, I actually looked ahead uh, in, in the, uh, this week because and, and, I saw your song selection. I figured I'd be pretty safe from the tambourine because I know it's a more reflective song during communion. Um, but, but you know what? Even though it's reflective, let's make sure that we give him our all as we, as we worship, even as we sing. But our second point this morning is that of witness. Witness. We read in verse 2, tell of his salvation from day to day. That's our, our witness to our neighbors of Christ. And you know, if you want to know the very best way that you can support our sent ones, right? How can you be the best rope holder for our missionaries? You know what it is? Go out there and share the gospel with your neighbor. Be a light right here in your daily life, in your neighborhood, and in your school, in your, in your workplace, in your community. Among those people who know you, nobody should know you and not know that you're a Christian. Okay, seriously, if somebody really knows you, like, well, like beyond just, you know, a casual conversation, if someone knows you, and they don't know you're a follower of Jesus, something's wrong with you. Okay, that needs to change, something to repent of. But Lord, I've been, I've been putting my light under a, a, a basket. Forgive me, and then change that, right? Christians, Christians reflect his glory. We reflect his light. So are you telling of his salvation to others on a regular basis? Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Don't be ashamed. And you know, maybe you think, especially during a missions week, 
And you, you see pictures. Like this morning during ABF, we, we, we saw a video of, of, of Julie looking out her you know, kitchen, kitchen window, right? Over her sink. And she's like, yeah, there's a, there's a mosque and a madrasa and a, a Hindu temple. And there's a Sikh temple over there. And maybe, we're, maybe you hear that and you're thinking, wow, man, surrounded by all these unbelievers. And, but here, I don't really need a witness. We're in a Christian culture, right? And, and, and everybody here knows the gospel, right? Wrong. Not. Okay, you know what? We, when, you get out, uh, when you walk outside your front door and you look out there, you know what? You are surrounded by false religions. False religions. You know, the problem is we're, we're in this... Um, in this like kettle, right? We're like frogs, you know, and it's been slowly, you know, turning into a boil such that we don't even notice it, but we are surrounded by false ideas and religions, like materialism. That's a false religion. It's wicked. It's as wicked as Islam. It'll, it's taking people to hell left and right. This idea that, that the more stuff you get, serving stuff is going to make you happy, and the more stuff you get, somehow you can take with you forever, or he who dies with the most toys wins. That's a lie. And a lot of people are, gonna, are going to hell because of that false idea, right? And there are a lot of people who think they're Christians who are not, who Jesus is going to say, I never knew you, because their God was their stuff, or the pursuit of it. And you don't have to be, I'm not just talking about people who are upper middle class here. There are a lot of poor materialists in this world. Okay? This, this is equal opportunity, uh, false, uh, false, false religion. Materialism. And, and then it's evil stepsister hedonism. Pleasure will, you know, serve pleasure and that will bring happiness. And that could be like benign pleasure like sports. Nothing wrong with sports. But if that's what you worship, if you think more about sports than you do about Jesus, you're a hedonist. You, you have bought into the false religion of hedonism. Pleasure will bring happiness, okay? It'll fill you up inside. And, and, and of course, we know hedonism leads to all kinds of, you know, sexual sin, uh, addictions, all kinds of that. But, but you can be an upstanding citizen and a total hedonist, false religion. And all of this is built on, on a structure that we might call naturalism. And, and the way that's expressed in our society is through secularism. Right? You like how all these false religions have isms? Right? Secularism is the idea that, that, that it's, it's naturalistic, that really the natural material world, things that you can see and touch and feel and test with the scientific um, processes, these things are real, and that the spiritual, the stuff behind the curtain, is not. So God and heaven and eternal life, those are just kind of figments of an imagination. Okay? And what's real is your salary and your status, and your car, and your house. And so that's what you should give your heart to. And it's okay. The other stuff, if it kind of gives you a crutch to kind of help you along, right? Help you overcome challenges, things like that. Um, a little hope at a funeral, okay? Uh, maybe even a little morality. But it's not really real. You know, the stuff under the line that you can't see, the spiritual, isn't really real. That, that is called naturalism. And, and of course, it leads to a secular society in which you're, you can keep God in a church service, but you better not take him to work, okay? Uh, or, or really, frankly, into the public sphere. And that's why people look at you funny when you start talking about Christ at all, because they believe that we've all been influenced by this evil, false religion called secularism. 
So guess what? It's a danger zone out there. And, and people are going to hell left and right and need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have it. And, and it is the power of God to, to change lives, to, to change the society. Robert Coleman wrote a book back in the 50s, I think, or 60s, called The Master Plan of Evangelism. And he writes, evangelism is not an optional accessory to our life. It is the heartbeat of all that we are called to be and do. It is the commission of the church which gives meaning to all else that is undertaken in the name of Christ. So do you believe that? Is that does that change the way you live, what you do? You know, a lot of people are fearful of evangelism. Maybe, maybe you're afraid of, of a lot of Christians. Maybe you're afraid you, you, you won't be able to answer someone's questions. Uh, maybe you're not quite sure, uh, okay, how do I get from point A to Z, you know, you know the steps. Um, maybe, frankly, the truth is you just don't like being rejected, right? You're afraid that someone's going to look down on you, or you might not get that promotion, or you might not be in the inner cool circle, okay? Well, check your heart if that's it. But, but Mark Dever writes in, in his book on evangelism, he writes, when you understand that evangelism isn't converting people, only the Holy Spirit, by the way, can do that, right? When you understand that evangelism isn't converting people, but that it is telling them the wonderful truth about God, the great news about Jesus Christ, then obedience to the call to evangelize can become certain and, and joyful, Right? It's not on you to, to, to convert somebody. You just got to point them to Jesus. And I think there are better ways. There's different approaches that can be used, right? I, I just, in my own mind, have, and I've shared with this with you before, but I kind of have the matrix in my mind of, of five basic points, right? Um, that, that God made you, ownership rights. You've sinned against God. All right, that's the problem we need to understand. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, and rose from the dead. That's the core of the gospel. You can be saved through faith in Christ. That's number four in my mind. Hey, what, how do you need to respond? And then, and then really the fifth point in my mind is discipleship. And that is, hey, if you, if you, if you accept Jesus as Savior, you're following Him as Lord, right? You, you got to live for Him now, not to, keep, not to save yourself. He does that, but we're talking about following an a awesome master, but there's a lot, there's all kinds of approaches, you know. Uh, there's the three circles we've, we've learned about. There's, um, I, I, still, I still really like the, um, uh, just frankly, the Romans road. There's a lot of matrices you can use or, or kind of steps in your mind if you need that. But frankly, you could have none of that and just talk about Christ, what he's done in your life. You know, um, Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. But we should be telling we should be telling of his salvation from day to day. And you know, Christians share the gospel with their words, but also with their lives. Professor Wayne Grudem, in his Systematic Theology, writes, quite amazingly, God made us to reflect his glory. Though we do not find ourselves now surrounded by a visible light, there is a brightness, a, a splendor, or a beauty about the manner of life of a person who deeply loves God. And it is often evident to those who, are, who surround such a person. So if you live a, a life where you're gazing at the Father, and you got the Spirit in you, and you're thinking about the Son, it's going to reflect. People are going to be drawn. Now, some won't. Some, some might not invite you to their party. And you know what? That is okay. 
kids and youth. Probably that is, probably that is, is protective for you. But you know what? Others, especially those who are, who are struggling, who are in need, they're going to be drawn to you. They're going to be drawn to you at work. You're going to find people confiding in you. They're not going to know exactly why. They're just going to see a, they're going to see a shine. And that's when you share with them about Jesus. Now, I know I'm being a little bit heavy here, but, 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 but you know, you may be thinking, you may be thinking, you know what? I have not been a faithful evangelist. I have not been telling of his salvation day by day, but I'm not sure where to start. Like, how do I start? Well, here, here's a question I back at you. Are you thinking about his salvation day to day? Right? Because you, you, you can't give away what you don't have. Right? So it starts by looking to Jesus every morning. Remember that, 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 that this world and your stuff and your problems. If you're like me, I'm I'm a problem solver, so I'm often, in the morning, uh, it doesn't take me long to be thinking about what are the problems I face, and, and, and you know what, that can, if I'm not careful, if I don't just take those to Christ, that can, that can get in the way of thinking about my salvation, but none of that stuff is going to last. That's all temporary. What's going to last is that relationship with Him, the eternity in, in heaven that He's called me to. And so let's live that way. Let's live heavenly-minded because that's a whole lot of earthly good. Start by thinking about your salvation and and being full of the Spirit, and then it's just going to kind of come out. It's going to come out in your conversations with your neighbors and with your friends. So, number one, sing to the Lord. Number number two, tell of His salvation day to day. And then number three, declare his glory among the nations. Now here we see our mission, the, the mission of the church. Verse three says, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Now, what we have here is an early Old Testament version of the Great Commission. And it's not the only place in the Old Testament that God makes it clear that he has a heart for the nations. Some people wrongly think that the Old Testament uh, was just about Israel, and the New Testament was the nations. Well, it's true that in the Old Testament, God's focus was on His chosen people, Israel, but they were to be a light to the nations. They were His chosen vehicle to make, he was, they were supposed to be declaring His glory to the nations. God has always been a missionary God. Isaiah 12, 4, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, Make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Psalm 67, verse 3 through 7. And this is where Piper got the title for his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So Christ has given us a mission to impact the world. And you know it, but we gotta, we got to repeat this one time. This is the end of our missions conference. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. His last words before he went back to the Father. He says, Go therefore 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now this command is not just to those who go to other countries. This is for all Christians to be involved in. In his book, Radical, David Platt writes about an encounter that he had while on a short-term trip to Africa. He met, a, met an African named Bullen who lived in the bush in a hut, right? In a mud hut. And, and Bullen told David Platt, back when he was a young, young whippersnapper pastor, he said, he said, I am going to impact the world for Jesus. And so Platt, in his book, Radical, reflects on this. He writes an interesting statement. Here was a guy in the African bush with almost no resources. A guy who hadn't seen much of the world beyond the villages that surrounded him. A guy who by all outward appearances did not have much hope for changing his lot in life. In other words, a guy who would never be able to afford an airplane ticket. Okay? And so he asks, Bolin, how are you going to impact the world? I am going to make disciples of all the nations, he said. And so Platt is trying to make sure I got this right. He says, so you're going to impact the world by making disciples of all nations? And he writes that grin immediately spread across his face. Why not? He asked. And so Platt writes, regardless of what country we live in, what skills we possess, what kind of education we have, or what kind of salary we make, Jesus has commanded each of us to make disciples. And this is the means by which we will impact the world. And that's what Bolin was going to go do and was doing, making disciples. Indeed, Jesus has invited us to join him in the surprisingly simple journey of spreading the gospel to all nations by spending our lives for the good of others and the glory of God. Is that what makes you tick? Is that what you're thinking about when you wake up in the morning? His glory and making disciples here in your own nation and, and, and even around the world. Well, the psalmist said in verse 3, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the people. So let's take a few minutes here and, and think about each of these words. Well, the word declare, that implies conviction and authority. In a, in a postmodern world, we do have something to declare with conviction. It is true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you believe Jesus, you believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that everybody needs him. So let's think about the word glory. Declare his glory among the nations. Well, this, this Hebrew word glory, kabod. Okay, it, it, it implies a heaviness and, and weight. It, there, there's several, several definitions here. Uh, certainly there's the idea of light, you know, kind of a shining presence, you know, and reflecting his light. We do that when we reflect his glory. But to glorify God in its essence means to honor him, to, to give great weight to God. And so my definition of glory is, is, is simple, and that is glory is that what's that, sorry, it is that which stops you in your tracks. You're going about your life, and suddenly you see an incredible sunset. You're like, whoa, I, I've got to stop and, and give this some worship. 
I've got to ascribe worth to it, right? There's a lot of things in our lives that we encounter that are glorious, but they are things that stop us in our tracks. And so God should stop us in our tracks when we stop and we think about His glory. So we're to declare His glory where? Among the nations, every people group. It's got to start with our own. But we're to take, the church is to take the gospel to every people group. And what is cool is that this isn't just an American church thing, okay? This is a, this is a calling to Bolin and to people from, from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And so the resources are often in the harvest, right? Uh, there are Venezuelan Christians who are going and taking the gospel to Iran because they don't need visas, Right? Uh, this is an endeavor that we have the privilege of partnering with others with from every nation and people group. But this belongs to the church triumphant. This, this belongs to the church around the world. And so the flags behind me here represent the nations that some of our missionaries that we have sent out have, have gone to. But our, our job is to think globally and all the more reason to, to, to embrace people who come to our nation from other cultures and people groups. All the more way that, that you and me, that we can be involved in this, in this great work. And we're to tell of his marvelous works. Well, has he done marvelous things? Yeah. Creation? Ex nihilo? Cr- creating our beautiful planet? Our community? Has he worked in history in incredible ways? Yes, he has. To, to bring Christ about his own son to become man, our, our savior, our helper. He's done marvelous things in history. Has he done marvelous things in your life? Well, sometimes we need to just stop and remember how he saved us. How did Jesus change your life? Where, where might you be today without him? How far do you think into the world of misery you might have wondered without him? Has he done marvelous things in your life? If you're in Christ, you have a glorious future. No matter what you're facing right now, you have a glorious future if you're in Christ. He has done marvelous things. Well, are you excited about being a part of his mission? Do you own it? Or or do you kind of just kind of, well, got to get through another missions conference uh, where I might feel a little bit guilty uh, and I'm going to compartmentalize that by thinking about what's for lunch um, or, you know, how my team's going to do this afternoon. You know, some of you in this room are choosing safety and comfort over obedience to God's purpose for your life. And the truth is, I feel sorry for you because it's boring. You're missing out. If that's the truth, if, if really you are rejecting God's call on your life for comfort and safety, maybe you're going to get to heaven because there are plenty of disobedient Christians, but you're, you're choosing the boring path. And, and certainly it doesn't please your, your Savior. But I feel sorry for you because there's a greater way. Missions, and I'm not saying those who don't go to the mission field are losers, okay? Don't, don't misunderstand me. But what I am saying is if we don't believe in His mission— we're missing it, okay? And, and, and so missions is awesome. It's glorious even. 
I, I enjoy just talking to Michelle Axelson and, and hearing about a trip to Thailand and what God's doing around the world with Bible translation right now. It, it's, a, it's awesome. It's an awesome task. You know what? Missions is hard, but it is hardly boring. You, you get involved as a, as a real sender or as a goer, or maybe you're young and you have an opportunity to go like do a, a missions trip, but you, you pass because you're going to take the safer option. That's, that's, that's boring. It's awesome and glorious, all right? Let me encourage you to step out in faith. Don't let the devil um, attract you or distract you by these false religions that are all around you of materialism and hedonism and secularism and just selfishness. And don't give in to a boring, sorry existence where you just try to get through life as comfortable and, and pain-free as possible, and that's it. And you hope to have your fire insurance and go to heaven. If that's you, you might get there, but I feel sorry for you because you're going to get to heaven and you're going to look back and there's going to be regrets. There's going to be some tears for him to wipe from your eyes of a wasted life. Don't waste your life, young people. My own kids, don't waste your life on yourself. Missions is hard, but it is hardly boring. But it is hard. It is hard, all right? Uh, you, you get any one of our missionaries in a room where they feel like they could truly be honest with you, and they'll probably tell you that they're thinking about quitting, that they're struggling. Now, thankfully, some of our, our folks aren't thinking about quitting. They've been out there for decades, and they're going at it. And some of them, I think, are, are more, like, indigenous. Like, they've, they've you know, they're, honestly, the elders, I think, are more Brazilian than Americans, all right? They've been out there. They've been in Brazil most of their lives, a long time. And that's awesome, okay? Uh, when, I, when I hear, um, boy, when I, when I hear the Newkirks talk about Senegal, you know, and the Dakar people, it's a hard place. But they, they've just been out there for, what, two decades? And, and they love it. They love these people. They, they, they've kind of achieved that, you know, that, that place. You know, you kind of go through these waves of culture shock. But the truth is, most of our missionaries are daily struggling. It is hard. And, and we need a God-centered motivation if we're going to stay the course, if we're going to endure the course of going and sending and, and rope holding when the, when the going gets tough. And you know what? What we see here in Psalm 96 is there's no greater motivation than God's glory to continue when we really see it. And what I want us to do as we land the plane, and don't get too excited, uh, if, you, if you're looking at your notes, you might think, hey, we're at the end. Well, guess what? There's more. <laughs> uh, and, and, and so, you know, some of you are like, oh, man, I, okay, there's more here. But what I want us to do is to learn something from our missionaries, the ones that we've sent out, the ones that we pray for. And it, maybe you've already picked one of these up. These are great guides to praying through our missionaries that our mission team has put together for us here. But I just want to briefly go through each of our missionaries with you. So let's get the first one up on the screen if we can, because I just want some assurances that, that we, we've got, we got it here. Um, and, and we have asked, the missions team asked our sent ones um, if they would send us a verse. So each of them has chosen a verse, which you will see under their picture in your guide, okay, this morning. And, and it, I, I find it interesting to look at the verses that they chose. It, it reflects something about kind of where they are and their priorities. But Jim and Michelle, who are involved in translating God's Word through Wycliffe, chose Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
You can see that idea, all this work in the translation, and, and yet it's going out and, 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 and his word is filling the earth. And then our, our sister, Sydney, next slide. Um, that's not Sydney, by the way. Um, she's, a, uh, she's a wonderful berry, so, you know, a nice looking young lady. Um, but because of security, we, we've got a you know, new name. We can't show her picture here. But she has just gone to a really desolate, dry place, spiritually, and, and frankly, physically too, right? Um, and she's just entering that culture right now and, and, and working on the language and on relationships. And, and, and so when you're in a place that's like 99.99999% Islamic, you can be like, what hope is there? But you know what? She, she said 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15, Christ's death and resurrection changes lives, for the love of Christ controls us. That's where we get our love, for people who are different from us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Well, we've got Phil and Christiana, who are in Russia now. Next slide, please. And, and you, you know, some people have been like, oh man, are you, you know, are you leaving? And they're like, hey, we just got here. And, and they're working with kids as educators, teachers, and so they sent Psalm 78, 46, which is a long verse, actually. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. So they're investing in future generations. And, and Kent and Tanya, which if you were at the prayer breakfast yesterday, next slide please, um, we, 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 we heard from them. And, and, you know, they're in the throes of language learning. And that is hard. That's a hard time. Um, you're, it's like being in kindergarten once again, and it's easy to get, grow weary, but they sent us Galatians 6, 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And, and our own Elizabeth, who we heard from during ABF this morning, right, as she is entering uh, a, 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 a place in her own country, but it's a, it's a square mile with 20,000 people without, as we know it, a strong, solid gospel preaching church yet, okay? Full of folks who, who maybe have heard bits and pieces but don't understand the gospel. And so as she moves into this proximity, into a, a challenging place, she sends us Psalm 37.3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Our, our, our friends in Poland, right, who are running a seminary training the next generation of pastors, uh, and also doing amazing stuff with, with refugees, right? A lot of ministry with folks coming from the Ukraine. They, they remind us of James 2, 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Daniel and Casey, in Southeast Asia, flying airplanes and, and with MAF and, and supporting our, our, our church planning missionaries and, and Bible translating missionaries way up in the remote areas. Those folks couldn't do it without them, right? They, they remind us of the vitality of love in ministry. 
John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Well, you know what? Maybe you're sitting here right now and you're mad at somebody in this room. In fact, I'm pretty sure that's the case uh, here, that we have folks who are angry with other people in this room. That is a good verse to remember. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Nancy, elder, last year, um, tragically, her husband David was hit by a motorcycle and died a few days later. Okay? Uh, he had actually been very, very sick with COVID, had been near death, but he was working on this translation project, and, and the Lord actually healed him, and he had just finished it when he got hit by the motorcycle. But you can, you can imagine um, the struggles and the pain that she's had, maybe some of the, the fear. She's continued, like I said before, she's probably more Brazilian than she is American, right? She's continued in, in her ministry in the church there. But she writes, Isaiah 41.10, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not look anxiously about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We support a brother, Jeff and uh, Woods, and his wife, Lori. I used to have the privilege of serving alongside them. Next slide, please. In Afghanistan. Uh, and his organization trains leaders in Afghanistan, in northern Iraq, and other war-torn places. And he sent us Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Our brother and sister, Ray and Catherine Hentz, now are in a position of leadership with their missions organization, ABWE, in East Asia. And after serving for years in a place in East Asia, they, along with most of the other missionaries in that country, were expelled. Uh, they've tried for years to get back. They're not able to get back in. They've now settled into Manila. Actually, they're settling into Manila right now. We saw a video at the breakfast yesterday of them. Uh, they had just signed a lease on a new place. They're just trying to figure out a new life, all kinds of needs physically. And they remind us of the truth, the beautiful truth of Philippians 4:19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Lucy, who's Nancy's sister, um, she has been working as a librarian in Brazil at a seminary, at a Christian seminary for years. I don't know how many years, a lot of them. And not only that, concurrently, she's had younger women living with her for years in, in a discipleship ministry. She disciples young women. And she reminds us to find our strength and our joy in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Philippians 4, 4. And Stephen Laura Newkirk in West Africa in an Islamic city um, where it's easy in ministry, I would say, to get bogged down. In fact, the truth is some missionaries in Muslim countries start expecting very little things and, 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 and get kind of happy to operate at a, at a snail's pace because it's just it's so hard going. But here's, here's, what, here's the verse they sent. 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 3. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead. 
not like snail's pace, may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. We heard from my brother Thomas and sister Julie this morning during ABF, and and their daily lives uh, are all about evangelism and discipleship. They're constantly out there meeting strangers, sharing Christ with them, uh, meeting up with different people, discipling them. And, and so they remind us of 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Yesterday morning, we had the the privilege of hearing from Brian Christman with Heart of the Bride. That's our next slide. And hey, if you're a, a dude and you want to join the awesome orphan work of Heart of the Bride, all you got to do is hit the gym, as you can see from these dudes, and get a kind of cool, cool dude haircut. And you can fit right in with this group. Uh, I'm just kidding. They're awesome. Um, wonderful folks with a heart for the, uh, the, the orphan here in America and around the world. And what they're doing here, what they're prioritizing is the kingdom of God. As they, as they seek to change these kids' lives and introduce them to the Father. And they sent us Matthew six thirty three, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Jonathan and Julie in, in Southeast Asia, translators. That, that's, talk about an arduous task. Um, just, you know, day and, and day after day translating the Bible. But this is the end they see of their translation work. Psalm 86, 9. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Tosh and Don, who they are also, um, well, Tosh is Thai, and if you get to know Don, you realize that she's real, she grew up in Thailand. She's much more Thai than she is American. These folks have been out there for decades as well. Um, church planning work, and they, they run a great radio ministry, okay? And, and the very focus of that is the gospel, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Tosh and Don broadcast over the airwaves. And Jonathan and Natalie in South Asia, next slide, um, do, both of them doctors, frankly, in, in desperate need of some short-term help. So if you're medical, whether you're a PA, uh, nurse practitioner, physician, they really need some assistant help over the next few months and in the next year or so at their, at their hospital in South Asia. If you're interested, come talk to me or someone on the missions team. But they write Psalm 147.3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. The, the end of their physical healing is spiritual healing. Karen, who's been serving for a long time, and I think I've got a chance to drive around, spend time with her in, uh, in, in Zambia. Uh, I'll tell you, she's more Zambian than American, I think. Just hang out with her for a while, okay? Uh, Karen uh, is, a, is a case study for us of endurance through all kinds of hardship as, as she ministers to street boys and girls in Zambia. And so she reminds us of the promise from Hebrews eleven eleven that we should consider him faithful who had promised. Bob and Candace, who work with Karen, same team, same place, ministry with, same ministry with, with street kids, sent us Isaiah 46, 10. And you know, sometimes in that work, uh, when, when sometimes kids go back to the street, it's easy to lose hope. But they, I see hope all over this verse. 
declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. He's going to do it. His will will be done. There will, there's going to be a, a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation around his, his throne. And finally, Mike and Libby sent us Psalm 37, 5, and 6, which says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. So it's not about our strategies. It's about committing all our plans to the Lord and depending on Him. And I just got to say this as we, as we bow together in prayer for our sent ones and as we prepare our hearts for communion. Um, I got to just share the verse before that one because it's my life verse, and that's Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. So as we think about missions, we think about the task, we think about evangelism, we think about worship, I think underneath all that is this concept of delight. So are you delighting in Him today? And if you're not, let me encourage you right now, you got time as you prepare your hearts for communion, turn to Him. Um, put your delight in, in Him. If you're not a believer, let me encourage you right now to put your faith in Him. If, 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 if you're not a Christian, let me encourage you to pass on communion. If you are a Christian and there's some, you realize there's some disobedience or sin in your life that you haven't confessed, let me encourage you not to take communion based on what the Bible says about bringing condemnation on yourself, okay? Now's the time to, to take those things to the Lord, confess them to Him. And we're going to take a few moments after this prayer to um, spend some time in reflection and prayer preparing our hearts for communion. As we pray, I'll invite the servers forward. Heavenly Father, we thank you for each of these sent ones. There are many prayer needs that come to my mind when I see their pictures. Lord, we pray that above all that today they would delight in your presence. And Lord, we want to do so as well. We thank you that we stand in Christ. We thank you that he died on the cross for our sins, including that of cowardice and, and, and being ashamed of you. What awful sins. And yet he paid the price for them so that we might stand clean before you. Lord, we, forgive, we, we ask you to forgive us for, for, the, for the sins of trying to fill up our cup with pleasure and things instead of you and then rationalizing it in, in some kind of way so that we can show up in church and, and feel okay about ourselves. Lord, we, we, we thank you for dying on the cross for that sin. Lord, we pray that, that this morning you would just draw us closer to you, the Lord of the universe, and in these moments as we take communion, may, may we, we delight, delight in you. I pray in Jesus Christ's name, amen.
Corinthians chapter 11, we read in verse 23, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And we had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God and Lord of the universe, we thank you for sending Christ, your only begotten Son, to truly become man, to take our place, 
to be murdered on a, on a cruel Roman cross to, to shed his, his lifeblood, to have his body marred in our place. We thank you that he rose from the dead. And so we too, through faith, uh, rise again, that you gave us new life. Lord, we thank you that you give us, gave us new hearts through faith in Christ. And so I pray that we would live for him, Lord, that we would radiate your glory, that we would be on your mission and obedient to your mission. Lord, I pray that this week we would um, live for you, that we would look to you. And Lord, 